Uh, God bless you, and so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 17? That's where we're going to be today, and as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. Well, today we're continuing along in our journey through the book of Genesis. Remember in Hebrew, Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And today we've arrived at the 17th chapter in the book of Genesis, and we're still studying the life of Abraham, Avinu, Abraham our father the father of the Jewish people, and the father of all who believe in Yeshua, the Jewish Mashiach, our Messiah. And today, I'd like to talk to you about a new name. You know, as we look at the life of Abraham, we see a man who, who wasn't perfect. And yes, he made some mistakes every now and then, just like we do. But we also see the heart of God. We see what God is like. We see that God is kind, that God is patient that He's forgiving, and we see that God loves us, and He patiently loves us. And we also see that God patiently grows a person in faith throughout their lives. He knows you need time to see His faithfulness. He knows you need time to trust Him more and more, and to look back at His goodness and all the wonderful things He's done for you. And then that grows and stretches your faith. God knows you need time to learn. And He's willing to patiently guide you along the way, just like a loving father raising his tiny child in love. And as you grow in Him, God teaches you the next steps in life. He teaches you how to trust Him, how to trust Him even more. And all along that journey, God is with you, guiding you, teaching you, instructing your heart in His ways. And that's the way it is with Abram in our scripture today. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 17. We'll go through it together and comment on it as we go along. It says in verse 1 of chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make a covenant, my covenant, between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Now, we'll pause there and just take these first two verses and talk about them for a little bit. It said, The Lord appeared to Abram. This is undoubtedly another appearance of God in the person of Yeshua, or Jesus, because He was going to become a man and live among men and do the things that God had sent Him to do. And it seems like that whenever the Lord appears to a person in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, in the Torah, it's most likely the person of Yeshua, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God. And he took on a human appearance temporarily before his incarnation of his life on earth 2,000 years ago. And then the first thing he says to Abraham is he tells him who he is. He says, I am Almighty God. Now he called him by this name, El Shaddai. And he revealed his person and his character to Abram in that name. Remember, we said that Hebrew names have meaning. 
they're not like American names or European names where they might not mean anything about the person. God's name especially is meant to mean and say what He is, what He stands for, what He does, who He is, the things that He values in His heart, the things that He honors in His, in his existence. And El Shaddai is Almighty God. That's what it means. Now, if you break that down into Hebrew, Be'evrit, we would say, remember, Be'evrit is in Hebrew. Well, it turns out that El, of course, as I've told you so many times before, is just a short way of saying Elohim, if you will. Shaddai, let's focus on the Shaddai. If you look at Hebrew today, in modern Hebrew, the word die means enough. In fact, you will, you will hear some impatient parents telling their little children who are running all over the place, and they'll say, die, die. Well, they're not telling them to be dead. They're telling them enough, because die means enough, bevrit, or Hebrew. Well, she means that. She means that. So El Shaddai means the God that is enough, you see. El Shaddai. God that is enough. He's the God that's enough for you. You say, well, that doesn't make a complete sentence, Pastor Stephen. What do you mean he's enough? He's enough for what? You need to finish the sentence. No, I don't need to finish the sentence. He's enough whatever you need. He's enough whatever you're facing in life, whatever you're going through, whatever you need in life, God is enough. And that's why his name there is El Shaddai. He's introducing himself back again to Abram Avinu, Abraham our father. And he said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. I'm the God that's enough. He's saying God is all sufficient. That he sheds out, he pours out his blessings upon those who trust him, upon those that lean on him. And the word Shaddai also means, comes from the root of the word that means chest. And it may have in mind the strength of a man's chest and God Almighty talking about his might. But it can also have in mind the a chest of a mother and the comfort and nourishment of a woman for her nursing child, her baby. And then God says, walk before me and be blameless. Now God told Abram what was expected of him. Here's what he's telling him. The word blameless literally means whole or complete. God wanted all of Abram. He wants all of you. He wants everything. He doesn't want just a piece of your life. He doesn't want just 10% of your life. And no, he's not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. He wants a total commitment. He wants all of you. That's why the Bible says, and you, you Hebrew speakers, you know this verse completely. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you get that, what it said about God? All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. All, all, all. You're to love God with all that you are. He wants a total commitment. And that's what he's telling Abram. Now, Abram has been getting to know God, you might say. Remember when he was first called by God in Ur of the Chaldeans, he didn't really know who God was or what he stood for. Remember that people came from multiple God cultures like the Chaldeans were. 
They had different gods who had different things that they thought about. They had different gods that represented different things. But he didn't know the one true living God. And so this has been a journey of discovering what God is like. It's been a journey of discovering the heart of God. And God then says in these verses that we just read, I will make my covenant between me and you. God reminded Abram that he hadn't forgotten about the covenant that he had made with him. It's now been about 25 years since the promise was first made. And though it may have seemed to Abraham that God might have forgotten, in reality, God didn't forget anything. It was a question of timing. It was a question of when was the right time. God knew the right time. Abram didn't. And to Abram's credit, he got a little impatient once or twice. But to Abram's credit, he kept following the Lord, depending on the Lord, and trusting God, you see. And God, it said in chapter 15, verse 6, remember what we read? And Abram believed God, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. Remember that very, very important verse? Abram believed God, and that was accounted to him as righteousness. That pleased God. That's what we're saying. And God looked at that and said, oh, he believes in me. He trusts in me. That's what I'm looking for in a person. That's what I'm looking for. I want the person that believes in me and trusts in me. And remember, even the demons believe that God exists. But if you trust in the living God and give your life entirely into his hands, then that is the whole total commitment, the complete, the whole commitment that God is looking for. And so this chapter goes together with that verse uh, in uh, verse 6 in chapter 15. Abraham believed God and that was counted him for righteousness. And now God's telling him, if you walk before me with all your heart, if you give me everything in your life, put it all in my hands. That's what God's looking for. The New Testament says the same thing. That God is looking for those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you think about it, you worship Him in spirit when you understand, when you realize He's the creator of all the heavens and the earth. He's the one who can forgive your sins. He's the one who gave his life to save you, that showed a love that no man had ever even imagined that for a sinner, the Messiah would die for us, that he would give his life that we might live with him forever. That's the love of God. Unimaginable love. Unimaginable that someone would do that for you. And now you are going through life trusting Him, trusting His love, because you see how great His love is for you. And Abram has now been following the Lord for a long time. But that covenant about all those descendants that are going to come from Abram, that still hasn't come about. But now God's going to take care of that. In this chapter and the next chapter, you'll see it's on the way and it's just around the corner. The last time we are told that the Lord communicated with Abram directly was more than 13 years before, as we read through the scriptures. And seemingly, Abram had 13 years of just normal fellowship with God, waiting for the promises all the time. Now, what I mean by normal fellowship with God, that simply means like you may not have a miraculous appearance of God every day in your life. You may not have it every year in your life. 
at times during those years, Abram was just going along in life and he didn't really hear anything more. He was in a holding pattern, we'd say. He was on standby, you would say. And basically, Abram knew God was there. He knew that God saw everything he did. He knew that God was looking after him and that God had given him great promises. And there were probably times that even though Abram was a man of great faith and becoming stronger in faith every day, he still saw God's work over all of these years. And there's probably a lot of times when he wondered what God was doing or wondered, oh, God, when are you going to come and talk to me again? In the same way, there's times in your life, most of those days in your life are going to be days when you don't really hear completely from God, but you know what? You have His Word in the Bible. Batanach, Babritachadashah, okay, Batorah. You have God's Word in His Bible. You can hear from God whenever you want. And He says in the book of, of the Tanakh, He says that He honors His Word above all of His name. That is Him speaking to you. And His Holy Spirit will make that real in your life. He even says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit, when He has come to you who believe on Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah and Lord, that He will reveal, the Holy Spirit will reveal the Word of God to you. And that He'll bring in a remembrance all that Jesus had said. Well, who was Jesus? He was the Word made flesh. And so when the Holy Spirit brings into remembrance all that Jesus had said, He's bringing into remembrance the Word of God. You see, the Old Testament, as you would call it in English, is has the New Testament in it concealed. It's almost hidden away. But the New Testament has the Old Testament in it revealed. And it shows what the Old Testament was talking about with the fulfillment of those things that the Old Testament would talk about. And so they work hand in hand. If you're Jewish and you're worried about those Christians that want to replace the Tanakh with the Brita Hadashah, you're worried about those Christians that want to replace the Old Testament with the New Testament, you don't have to worry. They believe in both and they believe that it works together. And once you believe on the Son of God, you will also understand deep down in your heart, the light will come on, the blindness will fall away like scales, and you will understand the beautiful wonderful way that they work together. And you missed it before that. It's because the carnal man, the fleshly man, the natural man can't understand these things, but they're revealed by the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. When you give your life to Him, He's going to reveal those things to you. So we see God working every day in your life through His Word but then there's a few miraculous encounters with the Lord along the way in life as well. And so it happens both ways. And you don't see the miraculous every day. But if you think about it, every time you look at the grass or a flower, every time you look up in the heavens, you see the stars of the sky. Well, guess what? You're seeing the miraculous there too. Because man cannot tell you how they came into existence. In all of our technology, in all of our scientific knowledge, we still do not know scientifically how they came into existence. But this very book that we're studying in today, the book of Genesis, Asefer Bereshit, tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shamayim ve'et ha-aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God then appears to Abram in these verses. And then it says, then Abram fell on his face. Going on in verse 3 through 8 now in chapter 17. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. He's saying this to Abram. And you, Abram, shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, he says, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you, between me and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Le'ad, Olam, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Two things that we're covering here. Look at what God is saying to Abram. He's changing his name. Abram, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer going to be called Abram, but to now, from now on, your name is going to be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. Now, if you understood the Hebrew, you would understand what God is saying there. Abram, as we've talked before, means exalted father. Remember I said Abba is daddy, Av is father. So if we say Avram, Avraham, as we would say in Hebrew, we pronounce that as a soft B, and a soft B is a V or a V sound. They're not really separate letters, just the B has a tiny little dot in it, and the V doesn't have that dot, but the rest of it looks the same, and that letter is called Bet. Okay, so basically he's telling Avram, you have been called Avram, of father, Ram means exalted or lifted up. You've been called exalted father, Avram, that's what it means. And of course he didn't have any children. So that was a sore point with Avram. Because it was a custom at that time for people just out of courtesy when they meet people, they would start asking them about their family, about their children, about their family and everything. Well, Avram didn't have any children. But as soon as he gave his name to somebody that he was just meeting, he said, oh, my name's Avram. They probably looked around, oh, where's your children? And Avram had to go, actually, I don't have any children. Now, remember what I told you, Hebrew names mean something. So when you're called Avram, it means that you are exalted father. It means that you do have children. So now people see this guy named Avram and they, you don't have children? But your name is Avram, you see, because names mean something in Hebrew. And God is now saying, you won't have to worry about that anymore, Avram. In fact, not only are, were you exalted father, but now your name is going to be Abraham, which means I have made you the father of many nations. You're not just going to have a child. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. The stars in the skies are going to be like the numbers of your descendants. The sands on the seashore, like the numbers of the descendants that are going to come from you. 
Oh yeah, you're going to have plenty of descendants, Abram. So I'm not just calling you, uh, you know, Abram anymore. Yeah, you'll be an exalted father. But you know what? I've not only made you father of a few descendants or a few children, I've made you the father of many nations. Now, if you're Jewish, you got to catch that. Do you see that? Of many nations. What does that mean? Well, he's the father of the Jewish people. We know that already. But what's his many nations? I thought he was the father of the Jewish people and the father of Israel. Well, he's the father of many nations because God's Moshiach, God's Messiah, is going to come eventually through the lineage of Abraham. Through Abraham, Yitzchak, his son, Yaakov, his grandson. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know them as. And on down the line through King David and the Messiah would come according to all of the prophecies and all who believe on him, believe the work that God has done, is believing in what God said. And what do we say about believing God? And God counts them as righteous because of that. And they will be in other nations too. So God will bring the Jewish people People whom he's called, he's chosen for himself, a special treasure for himself. He will bring them together with the righteous from the other nations. All together, those who have believed God and his promises. And then God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'm going to make it to where you look. You think you're 99 years of age, can't have any children. Well, not only am I going to make it where you can have children... I'm going to make it to where the, uh, the descendants that come from you are going to be exceedingly fruitful and they'll multiply and fill and make nations of you. And kings, not one king, but kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. In other words, it's not just going to end in a few years or a few weeks. It's not going to just end with your life, Abram. Everyone wants what they do in life to last and have eternal value. And now God is telling Abram, this is not only for you, not only between me and you, but also between me and your descendants after you and all of their generations. In fact, Abram, it's an everlasting covenant. It'll never end. You'll just keep having descendants that came from you who will believe on me as the true and living God. And he said, I will be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all of the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Now, understand there. I mean, not only is Abram going to have descendants, and we might as well do this now. Let's start calling him Abraham because God just changed his name. I know as I've been teaching through Genesis, it was really hard. I wanted to call him Abraham when his name hadn't been changed yet. But now I don't have to worry about that anymore because right in these verses, God is changing his name from Abram to Abraham. But the other thing he talks about in these verses that we just read not only all those descendants, the miraculous work that God's going to do in the life and in the body of a guy who is 99 years of age. And God is going to do that. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm going to be with your descendants forever, an everlasting covenant. And I will be God to them in their generations as well. I'll be your God 
and, and also the God to your descendants after you. And then he goes on with even more. He says, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you're a stranger. That's Canaan. So when you've been walking around and remember, Abram, I called you from Ur of the Chaldeans. I told you to come in. I told you to walk to the north, south, east and west that I was giving it all to you. And Abram, I told you I was going to give it to you. Well, Abram, today I am telling you this land is yours and your descendants after you. And it doesn't matter what the United Nations says. It doesn't matter what the enemies of Israel said. God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God that is enough to make it happen. The God that is enough. He's all powerful and he can make it happen. He said, I am giving you this land as an everlasting possession. Eternally. It doesn't expire. There's no expiration date. Because it's all based on the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of El Shaddai, God Almighty. And God says, and I will be their God. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abram. He wanted to encourage Abram's faith in the promise of the descendants. God changed his name from Abram, the father of many, to the father of many nations, like we said. There was no doubt, in a sense, in which Abram was the father of many. It was a hard name to bear for the father of none. Abram wasn't really used to telling his name Abram to people. But now think about what's happening. He still doesn't have any descendants. And before his name was the exalted father. And now God wants to call him the father of many nations. Oh, so can you imagine the next time he introduces himself to somebody? Oh, what's your name? Abraham. Oh, wow. Really? You have all these children in different nations and everything. They all came from you. Well, actually, I don't have any yet. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine how difficult it would have been? It was difficult before, but now with Abraham, oh my goodness, how difficult it is now. Especially in a culture that talked about, like I said, the family of the person that they had just met. God went a step further and made his name the father of many nations. It's almost preposterous for a, child, uh, a childless man to have such a name. Because remember, in Hebrew, the names mean something about the life of that person who has that name. And now the father of many nations has no child. But it's okay, because God's going to fix it. God's going to fix it. Think of Abram announcing his name to others. He probably didn't even want to go through that again. But what a wonderful name change it was. And wonderful name changes occur in the Bible, such as when God changed Yaakov, or Jacob's name, to Israel. Remember, Yaakov was deceiver, hill catcher, a supplanter. He was a sneaky individual. That's what his name meant. And he changed it to Israel, which means governed by God. Prince of God, governed by God. He was serving himself before doing everything he could to be sneaky, steal his brother's blessing, steal the birthright, hold back that food from his hungry brother so that he would give him his birthright instead. And now God named him governed by God. From now on, Jacob, you're not going to do those things anymore. From now on, you're going to be governed by God. And once Jacob saw the goodness of God, he humbled himself 
and gave his life over to the Lord God Almighty. And as he found, as Abram found, as Abraham found today, God is El Shaddai. God is enough. Anything you need in life, not what you want, not your carnal pleasures, but anything you need in life and the love and the blessings of God to see you safely through life in a joy and a peace that only He can put inside your heart. He is El Shaddai. Who El Shaddai? He is God that is enough. God promises a wonderful new name to every overcomer in Him, by the way, in Revelation 2.17. We're all going to become new, we're going to have new names given to us by God because we believed on God and we'll have a new name. All those old things passed away. Everything's new. Then he says about the land, I'm going to give it to you as an everlasting possession. He's reminding Abraham of something he said before, that this land is given to him as an everlasting covenant. And the fact that he says it two times just makes it that much more certain. Genesis 17, then continuing on in verse 9 through 14, it says then that God said to Abram, Abraham now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. He's saying, now, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Now, here's what you need to do, Abram. You shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. So not only you keep it, Abram, but you teach them to keep it as well. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. In Hebrew, we call that Brit Milah, the covenant of circumcision. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, Brit Milah. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now notice that. It doesn't say it shall be the covenant, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. We'll talk about that in a bit. Then it continues on. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now let's talk about this. Talking about circumcision here. You know, well, what's to say? You know, what are you going to talk about now, Pastor Stephen? Well, I want you to understand some things about circumcision. For the first time, God gave Abraham something to do in regards to the covenant. Before, it was a covenant that God made. And remember, he walked through the animals that had been cut in half. God himself went through with the smoking furnace and the fire, okay? And God himself did, but Abram just watched from a distance, you see. Abram didn't have any part in the covenant. It was all God who was responsible for blessing Abram. But now God is giving Abraham something to do. And he told him to take upon themselves the sign of a covenant, showing that they had received the covenant by faith. Remember, 
He said the covenant will be a sign, the, the, the circumcision will be a sign of the covenant. He didn't say that it will be the covenant. He said that it will be a sign of the covenant that I'm making with you. The covenant to be your God. The covenant to be the God of your descendants after you forever and ever that I will be their God and they'll be my people. The covenant to give you this land, the land of Canaan, which is Israel today, to give you that land forever and ever without end. That's the covenant that we're making. And now, Abram, the sign that you have this covenant with me will be the circumcision of the foreskin of your flesh. The sign was circumcision. The cutting away of the male foreskin. God chose his sign for many important reasons, and we could go over some of these, but it's interesting to know that some of these are scientific reasons, and the science wasn't even known then. Even though circumcision was not uncommon in the world at that day, it was a ritual practice among various peoples, but there were undoubtedly hygiene reasons, especially making sense in the ancient world. There's medical evidence in this practice that some believe has contributed to the long-lasting vigor of the Jewish race, that it promoted health in the Jewish race. And then we see that a fellow by the name of Macmillan in a, in a book, The None of These Diseases, noted in studies in 1949 and 1954, it showed an incredibly low rate of cervical cancer for Jewish women because they mostly have husbands who are circumcised, you see. But more importantly, circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh of course, we want to get rid of the flesh. We want to live our lives in the spirit now. But this is a sign of the cutting away of the flesh and an appropriate sign of the covenant for those who would put no trust in the flesh. And also because circumcision deals with the organ of procreation, uh, sexual, uh, sexual relations, it was a reminder of the special seed of Abraham which would come from his body and be procreated out. And all these descendants would come from him. Well, ultimately would bring the blessed Messiah of God. The Lord himself would become a man and save mankind from all the punishment and death and torture of that sin that man had committed. The Lord would become a man and take, and take the atonement for man's sins upon himself so that man could be forgiven and be restored to live with God in the kingdom of heaven, the everlasting kingdom, forever and ever and ever. But then God says, look at this. He says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Now you think, well, eight days. Well, why did God say that? Well, did you know that God commanded the circumcision of children to take place on the eighth day, and it just so happens that this is the day when an infant's immune system after they're born is at the optimum level for such a procedure. The optimum level for such a procedure, the immune system is the strongest to tolerate and survive this procedure. It's also been noted that newborn children have a peculiar susceptibility to bleeding between the second and the fifth days of the first of their life. So they're born and the second and the fifth days, between the second and the fifth days, they can bleed really easily. 
But after the fifth day, it seems that an important blood clotting agent, vitamin K, which helps in the clotting and formation of blood clots, is not formed in the normal amount until the fifth to the seventh day of life. And then another blood clotting agent, prothrombin, is at its highest levels in infants precisely on the eighth day of life, making the eighth day scientifically, medically, the safest and earliest day to circumcise an infant. Hmm. You see, the more you know about science, the more it confirms the Word of God. And God gave all of this to Abram thousands of years ago, and only recently have we made these discoveries to show how important circumcision on the eighth day was. But then God said, those who reject my circumcision uh, reject the sign of the covenant. And they were no friends of God or the covenant that God made with Abraham. It wasn't that circumcision made them a part of the covenant. Faith did. They believed God. But rejection of circumcision was a rejection of the covenant. If they didn't do what God said was going to be a sign of the covenant that they believed in, then that was evident that they didn't believe in the covenant to begin with, you see. So again, circumcision is not the covenant itself, but it's a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, unfortunately, through the centuries, the people especially my people, the Jewish people, begin to trust more in the sign of the covenant or circumcision than they did in the God of the covenant. And that's the wrong response. You don't put your trust in something of the flesh, something that you do, something that you do on your fleshly body. You put your trust in the God who is El Shaddai, Almighty God, the maker of the universe, Habore, the creator of all things. Who? Habore. He alone is the creator. You put your trust in him. You believe that circumcision by itself is just the sign of the covenant. But some people believe that circumcision by itself was just all you need to do, and that's the covenant. You need to read your Bible. It's not what it says. It's the sign of the covenant, brothers and sisters. I don't care what rabbi so-and-so says, and I have wonderful brothers that are good rabbis, and many of them teach the word as best they can, and they would not make this mistake. But other rabbis will teach you that circumcision is the covenant. God himself, right here, Hasefah Bereshit, in the book of Genesis, says circumcision is the sign of the covenant. Even in the New Testament, though, the Apostle Paul refutes the idea that circumcision is the covenant and is really required in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, on the cross of Calvary. And so Christians are free to either circumcise or not. One may do so for social reasons, for hygienic reasons, but it doesn't get you any closer to God. It's just a medical procedure. You know, I, I was born in Texas, and, and all the children that were born, all the boys that were born in those days were, were circumcised, and I was too. Interestingly enough, if you've been circumcised in America and another place like that, and it wasn't for religious reasons, but you're still circumcised, when you go to Israel and they want to know that you're Jewish, if you want to, it's an option 
for you. And you don't have to be circumcised again. Obviously, you can't do that. But what they will do is they will make a small little nick, a small little cut, just to draw a little bit of blood. And once blood is drawn, then they will say, okay, then it's official now. It's a Jewish circumcision. But I was born into a Jewish family. And I'm glad it was at eight days old that that happened to me because that would be tough for it to happen now, you see. And, but yet, Abram in this chapter, we're going to see that it did happen to him and all the people that were with him. And he was 99 years of age. Oh, my goodness. But Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. That's the important thing right there. Circumcision is just a sign that you believe God. But faith working through love, well, now that's serving God and loving Him and giving Him everything in your life. That's what it's all about, believing on Him and serving Him. The closest Christian parallel we have to circumcision is really baptism. Paul relates the two ideas together in Colossians 2, verse 11 through 12, where he says, baptism is also a sign of the covenant. It doesn't save us. It does not save us, but it's a sign of the covenant that does save us. So you see, in the same way that circumcision is a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, in the same way, baptism doesn't save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what saves you. But then baptize, baptism is what it shows that you are dead and buried with him and raised in newness of life. So it's a sign that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are his. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's a sign of the covenant that does. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, oh, yeah, but it says believe and be baptized. You know, you need to be baptized to be saved, obviously, Pastor Stephen. Well, what about that thief that Jesus hung between the two thieves on the cross, on the three crosses? And one of the thieves believed on him as he was hanging there on the cross. And Jesus told that one, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't come down from the cross and get baptized. And yet the Lord told him, you belong to me now. I understand you didn't get baptized, but you will be with me in paradise this day. So don't go all dogmatic and try to make up your own rules. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you have the opportunity after you believe, then be baptized because it glorifies God and it's a public testimony to others that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a good thing to do, but it doesn't save you. It's a sign that you have believed and you are saved because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Genesis 17, verse 15 through 16, the promise has been stated, but now we're going to talk about a son that's going to come through Sarah. And yes, I called her Sarah instead of Sarai because not only is Abraham's name being changed from Abram to Abraham, but now God's going to change his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, it says in Genesis 17, verse 15 and 16. It says, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. By her, not Hagar, by Sarah. 
your wife, and then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. She didn't have any children. She wasn't able to have children. And now not only is she going to be a mother, she'll be a mother of nations. And kings of people will come from her. She'll be from her. So he says, now, Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, remember, I told you that Jewish names have meanings. There's only one subtle difference between Sarai and Sarah, but it's an important one. Sarah signifies my lady or my princess, which confines her dominion to one family. But Sarah signifies either lady or princess, simply and absolutely without restriction to only one family. So instead of my lady and my princess restricted only to the family right then and there of Abraham, now God is calling her Sarah, which means lady or princess, not my lady, not my princess, but lady or princess, indicating that now it goes completely beyond the family and she becomes the mother of a multitude. And God said, I will bless her and also give her a son by you. This is what Abraham always wanted. But now Sarah's 90 years of age. Why did God wait so long? I mean, they can't have a baby now, can they? Well, yes, they can. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And it doesn't matter. In fact, I think that God waited till Abram was 99. I think that God waited till Sarah was 90. And it would be certain that people that old cannot have children. That then, that's why God waited. To show that it was going to be a miracle of God. That only God could do that miracle and make a child come forth from a mother who was 90 years of age and a father who was 99. Now look at Genesis 17, verse uh, uh, 17 through 18. Abram's response. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Oh my goodness. God just told him something. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, notice how God can hear the heart. He did not say it out loud, but God still heard it. And here it is written in the word of God. God looks on the heart, he says in the Tanakh. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He laughed. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. He's thinking of the child he already has, who's about 30 years of age now. Now, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Let's talk about that. Abraham's laugh didn't seem to be one of cynical doubt. He wasn't saying like, God, you can't do that. That's, that's crazy. No one can do that. But actually, have you seen people that laugh like, Imagine that. Look, look at what God's going to do. That's wild. That's crazy. But yet he's God. He can do it. This is going to be amazing. Everyone who hears about it is going to be amazed. And he's laughing at himself at what God is able to do. He wasn't thinking it was impossible. By all outward appearance, it was impossible. But he knew that the God he served was the God of the impossible. And that with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then Abram said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? He knew that both he and Sarah were well past the time of having children. But God is the God of the impossible. Then Abram says, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Understand something. 
Maybe he didn't know that God was talking about Sarah having a child of her own. Maybe he thought they were talking about the child that they had through Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael. And Ishmael is now around 13 years of age. And maybe he meant that God was going to bless Ish Ishmael to be Sarah's spiritual son. Abraham, like all of us, found it hard to trust God for things that he couldn't imagine with his human wisdom. We think that our limitations are God's limitations. But first there was nothing, and then God spoke it all into existence. Everything in the universe that exists today, God spoke it into existence from nothing. Explain that. Scientists today still cannot explain it. They believe in the creation of Inna because some, they call it a Big Bang. But it was a point in time when everything came into existence. They just don't know how it happened. With all of our science, they still don't know how it happened. But God is the God of the impossible. And nothing shall be impossible with God. God repeats the promise in verse 19 through 22 and names the child who's going to come forth from Abraham and Sarah. Then God said, it says in verse 19, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. It's not going to be Hagar's son, Ishmael. Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call its name Itzchak. Now, guess what? In Hebrew, that means laughter. And God says, And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I heard you. And behold, I have blessed him too, God's saying, and I will make him fruitful and I will multiply him exceedingly and he will begat 12 princes. 12 princes will come from him and I will make him a great nation. But the covenant I'm talking about, my covenant that I'm talking about, Abraham, I will establish with Yitzchak, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Okay. Now we have a time. Now the clock is ticking, this time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Sarah, your wife's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Yitzchak. Yitzchak is laughter. Mechayech, laugh in Hebrew. Yitzchak is laughter. Because he will be such a joy to his parents, you see. But also to always remind Abram, that he laughed at God's promise to give him a son through Sarah at this late age. And by the way, later on, we're going to see that even Sarah laughs, too, when she hears the news. And so God rightly calls the child laughter. Remember, in Hebrew, names have meanings. And this one is recording what happened with the parents. Oh, I didn't know I was going to be here. They didn't think I was going to come. Mom and Dad didn't think I was going to be here. They laughed when God told them. And so God himself named me and my name is laughter hmm. but as for Ishmael God heard him too and he's going to bless him as well he knew Abram was concerned about Ishmael his son of 13 years of age that he had through Hagar but yet he was the father of Ishmael and God and Abram was Abraham was concerned about Ishmael so so God said don't worry I'm going to take care of Ishmael too but my covenant with your descendants the everlasting covenant, the covenant for the land, that covenant that I spoke to you of is going to be through Isaac, not through Ishmael. So through Isaac, your seed will be blessed and this covenant is made. 
Then in verse 23, 27, wrapping it up real quickly here, Abram carries out God's command of circumcision. Ooh. So Abram, it says in verse 23, took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years of age when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years of age when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now think about that. Circumcision can be a little painful and uncomfortable, make you sick for about three days. When I was in Israel, I knew a guy named Raphael. And Raphael was a Christian believer. He was a strong believer as a Yehudi. He was a Jewish person, but he was a Messianic believer in Jesus Christ. And he just felt like he should be circumcised. And sadly, even his pastor told him that, oh yeah, you should be circumcised. Which is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. It doesn't mean anything. The important thing is believing on the Son of God Jesus Christ, as He is Lord and the Messiah that God would send. And then all of these things are covered by that belief, you see. But here his rabbi was still trying to do works to win God's approval, so he counseled young Raphael to be circumcised. Now remember walking in, and Raphael didn't look good. <laughs> he was sitting behind the desk, and he didn't look good. He wasn't feeling well. I said, are you feeling okay? And he, he told me, yeah. Uh, a city brit milah. I did a circumcision. I go, oh, you did? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking inside, but I'm not saying these words. And I'm thinking like, you did a circumcision. You didn't have to do that. I hope you knew you didn't have to do that. But he felt like he had to because his rabbi pastor had told him to. And here he was in pain for three days. I didn't have the heart to tell him. But you know, <laughs> later... Later, he found out. I hope he found out. But you see, it was only a sign of the covenant. It wasn't the covenant. There's so much misunderstanding that comes about when you leave the Word of God and you start trying to be religious and thinking religious on your own. Go to the Word of God. You won't make those mistakes like that. You'll find out what God is really requiring of you. But anyway, look at the faith that Abraham had. He took and circumcised all of the men in his place. Remember these 318 trained servants that fought those four kings and their mighty armies and defeated them? They could have come back and asked for revenge at any day then. But here's Abram circumcising everybody at the same time, knowing that for three days they weren't going to be able to fight. They weren't going to be able to walk. They were going to be in pain. They were going to be in discomfort. And Abram did it all in the same day. That says that he trusted God to defend him, didn't it? It says that he trusted God to take care of him and protect him. Abraham didn't need to pray about this. He heard from God. He didn't need to grow into this. God said it and he did it. That's a wonderful example of obedience 
from a great man of faith, and that's why Abraham is called the father of our faith in the Bible. You see, God was making everything new for Abraham, a new life with a living God, the creator of all things, blessing him, a new son being promised, a new wife given a new name and a new ability to miraculously have a child in their old age, and a new name to show that God had made them new. And in the same way that God made everything new for Abraham, he will make everything new for you. And remember, if you believe on Yeshua, God's Messiah, you too will be made new. God will forgive all your sins. That old person that's always lived just to please the desires and emotions of the flesh will be put away. A new person will emerge from you with a new heart and a peace and a joy that passes all understanding. You'll become a God of El Shaddai, God Most High. El Elyon, God Most High, the God that is enough. God says you will be a new creation, a new person. And before God, you will have a new name. Now, isn't that wonderful? And he will make all things new. Amen? Have you let God make you all new yet? Why don't you give your life to him today, right now? If you call out to him, he'll hear that cry and he'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in. And he'll shine his light on your heart. You'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And he'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God himself. I'd like to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as a Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent his one and only son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And he's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's doing deep down inside. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. 